0: Welcome to the Stay the Markets podcast. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com.
1: I'm Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com.
0: And our very special guest is Dan Tubb. Welcome to the show, Dan.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me. So, Dan, uh, I think I, I came across you for the first time via, your, I think someone probably retweeted your your recent tweet about monetary reset, um, but before we get into the theory, would you like just to give us a sort of potted CV?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, went off to university, all that. Did a bit of um, politics, a bit of uh, philosophy, and a, a bit of economics. I'm oh,
1: not um, PPE.
2: No, it, it, it was basically the, the Southampton University one. Oh, okay, but, um, so at least, at least It was mainly economics. Of and, 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 yeah, and I, I did some some other modules around it. Uh, completely not a waste of my time. It was a load of Keynesian um hogwash uh, I learned basically nothing useful during that the, the reason i picked the course in the first place is because i thought we'd be having real world conversations about you know wh- why is uh, you know why is singapore so dynamic why are other mm-hmm. countries not but um, it, it, it was it was basically sort of uh, establishment training so yeah that that was a bit of a waste on me then i went into finance and i actually started off in wealth management and are, and you, are, one, you, at li-
1: are you at liberty to say with whom uh, it was
2: it was it was a firm called Best Invest. They've been bought out since, um, but I think I think I think they're still going in in one form. Um, unfortunately, I didn't stay there very long because um, we met a lot of. Um, fund managers and we had a a VC guy come in and um, he ended up poaching me away so
1: so he he lured you to the dark side he did indeed
2: and 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 I've sort of basically then spent 20 years um in VC and and that was primarily looking at emerging
1: that's that's venture capital for the uninitiated
2: yes yes exactly right um and and the reason I got into that is because you know what, what I was primarily interested in um was that sort of Bottom-up fundamental analysis—you know, really digging down into um, a company and sort of understanding it from the inside out. But before before I made that transition, while I was still in wealth management, I had a very interesting conversation with the fund manager. Um, and, and this was—I think this was in 2000. It probably so it would have been post dot-com crash, but probably pre nine eleven. Yeah. And we were talking about what was, what was driving performance. And he made the comment to me. Um, he said, of, of course, these days, um, fundamental analysis doesn't matter. It, it, it's all about the money flows. It's all about the big macro flows. And I, I listened to that and I thought, I don't like the sound of that. And, and I think I, I sort of dismissed it at the time. But it always sort of stuck in my mind, that that, that comment. Um, didn't really think about it much. Went off did did the whole VC thing? You know, got really stuck into understanding companies from from the from the weeds up, um, and and that basically lasted until a couple of years ago um, when I'd pretty much had enough of London, had a young family, uh, wanted to get out. The fund that I was on had reached the end of its life, and they were raising the new fund. The new the new fund wasn't a particularly good fit for me because they were going in a different direction. Um, so I thought that was the time to to step out, and I, I've done the odd job. Consultancy thing, then, but essentially, I'm I'm sort of now um, down out in the in in the regions, um, sort of effectively trading my own book.
1: Mm. So and do you, do you do you have do you have clients at the moment?
2: No, I don't have any clients. No, it's only it's only my own, own money that I'm yeah. that I'm, I'm sort of messing around with. Um, and what what that gave me is when I got out of the city and and basically got out of that environment is I is I had the ability to really step back and start looking at the much bigger broader trends and and I found that that's what had been missing from my analysis the whole time and actually I then started thinking back to that fund manager who I'd met 20 years earlier and I started to understand that yeah it, it is it is the big macro trends and and really what I've been doing over the last few years is is really broadening my understanding of that. and I think I've got to the point where I've identified, what the three big trends that are driving everything in the moment and it basically goes to explain an awful lot of the behavior that we're seeing at the moment and the way that politicians are reacting um you know why we're seeing this sort of level of authoritarianism and if if i were to sum it up to anything what i would sum it up to is that the the money system is broken
1: yeah
2: when the money system is broken that perverts incentives incentives run through absolutely everything and therefore, everything becomes corrupt. Everything becomes perverse, and we are not going to get out of this until that money system dies the death that it so richly deserves at
1: this point. So, and those are those effectively the three trends that you were talking about.
2: No, so 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 the three the three trends. Shall I, I sort of headline them? Um, Go for
1: them. Go for it.
2: So so the the first is that I think we've reached the end of the long term debt cycle. Yeah. What that means is that interest rates are broken. Um, the second big trend is I think we've reached the, a- the end of the age of capital. So, effectively, this is, this is the fourth industrial revolution. We are moving from a industrial-led society, a capital-led society, to a more digital-based. Um, we're adding a fourth factor of production, which is effectively software and algorithms.
1: But that needn't necessarily be malign in the way that the World Economic Forum might, might be associated with it.
2: No so that's an interesting point so um, yes they, they talk about the fourth industrial revolution a
1: lot um, but they're talking about some form of neo neo feudalism where most people are going to end up as serfs
2: well so so when when i read what the economic forum put out the world economic forum put out i agree with an awful lot of their analysis it is their conclusions that i differ from markedly mm. um, and that sort of takes me back to you know when i was a sort of 14 15 year old first discovering marx um and reading that and, and and I found the same thing. You know, I agreed with a lot of his analysis. It was just all of his conclusions mm-hmm. that I then disagreed with. And I'm finding this exactly the same with with World Economic Law. And and actually that is something I want to come back to because look, when you reach the end of the age of capital, what that effectively means is that politicians and bankers become obsolete. Mm-hmm. And they become obsolete in exactly the same way whenever we have been through one of these fundamental shifts before. So the last time this was happened, when we reached the end of the age of land and moved to the end of the age of capital. So effectively, the, the transition from farming the country to moving the town to, to living in the towns, um, that was a sort of phenomenon that started to take place in the late 1400s. And what you saw was that the predominant powers at the time, so the feudal lord and the, and the clergy, they lost all of their power. Mm. And they still exist today. I mean, you—you, you, I mean, you, you know, if if you work in this city, you, you you probably bump into a son of a lordling every now and again, who's you know who's working on a desk somewhere, and you know, lovely chaps, um, but but you know, not a shadow of them of their former selves in past centuries, mm. and and bishops are basically figures of fun mm. at this stage.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: and and that process of obsolescence is about to happen to the politician.
1: So that's the end of the age of capital. And what's the third trend?
2: That's basically technology. Okay. So, so I think we're going to be entering very soon a phase of. Well, I think we're probably already in it. Uh, a phase of rapidly um, evolving technology, which is, you know, it's it's going to be what the internet did to a number of sectors, except it is going to be simultaneously happening to a, a whole number of sectors. Now, what that means?
1: So that's like is, a big. That's like a big bang for all things tech.
2: Yeah, but but the problem with technology is, is technology is deflationary. Mm. so so think about photographs photographs um you you used to have to go and buy your roll of film then you have to take your photos you had to go down to boots um you know come back a a few days later and you get your photos with you know some stickers on it telling you off Mm. of having taken the photo wrong and all the rest of it Mm.
0: free roll of Um, film
2: exactly free roll of film as well um all all that all that governs and then but today um due to technology photos are now basically free Mm. so that that is 100 percent deflation Now, technology is driving that in a huge number of sectors. So so the internet and the digital revolution has already done that to a whole range of different areas. But I think it's about to happen to a hell of a lot more. I mean, a a huge amount. So, I mean, things like GPs, drivers, I I think all of those are sort of going away in the next 10 to 15 years. Um, All of that is going to be inherently deflationary. And we have a monetary system which cannot survive, literally cannot survive without
1: inflation. It requires constant expansion and inflation.
2: It does. It does. So, so what that what that third trend leads you to is that time is running out. So, so not mm. only are are the people who are the most wealthy and powerful at the moment, not only have they reached the end of the road, um, not only my my first point that interest rates are broken, so their tools to hang on to power are broken. Mm. But their time is rapidly running out as well due to the, the technological innovations leading to the deflation, which means the monetary system and therefore them themselves, it all has to go
1: away. That uh, that noise you hear in the background is the world's smallest violin playing just for the billionaire class.
2: Well, OK, so here's the problem. We talked about the World Economic Forum a minute ago, and we talked about how they identify a lot of this stuff as well. So I read what they put out. And it is very clear to me that they understand everything that I've just said. They see it too. So here's the question, and it's a bit of a rhetorical question, but I'll phrase it all the same: the world's richest, most powerful, and most ruthless people, who meet up in Davos every year behind closed doors and discuss things, they have seen this coming. Do you think they are a going to watch it play out, or b? do something to hold on to their power.
1: Or C, end up at a military tribunal and end up getting hanged for genocide.
2: <laughs> that would be really nice. So so that brings me to some, my, my, my sort of quasi-fourth theme, which is I think that we are really at a crossroads at this point. And the crossroads is that politics and finance as we know it is going to effectively disappear. Um, it will still exist in some form, in much the same way that a lot of the things that used to be staples of the world pre-internet, you know, the yellow pages or whatever, you know, those those you know business directories still exist, but they, they exist now in a very different form. So mm. over the next 10 years, either, either politics and finance gets fundamentally changed or freedom goes away.
1: Well, we, we get rather the, the impression that in the, the West, the freedom's kind of gone away already.
2: Well, so so that's what I'm worried about. And and, and the end of freedom, you know, y- you can identify various markers on the way. Um, basically, everything that's happened over the last 15 months. Now, possibly it's an accident. But if you were to look to, to basically end freedom and, and hang on to, you know, the the established power set, um, you would have done the things that we've done over the last 15 months. And, and that's what you're referring to in, in my tweet thread that I put out, is yeah. I identified the steps that they, they could have done to, to, to get there. Um and what we're probably gonna see is a social credit system and central bank digital currencies.
1: But if, if those if that technology isn't rolled out quite soon, I get the sense that the powder keg is gonna blow and we're gonna have a civil war, a revolution, something of mass civil disobedience, something along those lines.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I'm reading a book at the moment. Um, I've, I've just got into it. It's called The Great Rupture by, um, how was it, uh, Viktor Shevits, I think it is. And this is, and this is a guy who um, came from communist Russia. And, mm. and, and I'm getting this a lot at the moment. I mean, I've, I've got friends as well who grew up in, um, in Czechoslovakia and, 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 you know, and other communist places. And all these sort of ex-communist guys or people who have lived through communism, you know, you hear this from them all the time. They're saying we are seeing the same things that we used to see when I was growing up. Mm. And what this, this this Victor Shevitz bloke in, in, this, in this great rupture book is talking about is, is his analysis is that we are basically going to go through um, 10 years of increasing authoritarianism and, and, and basically a drive to fascism in, in order to sort of try and control us. And at the end of that ten years, we either throw them off, or it's you know semi permanent. You know, it, it could be a generation or two before we before we get out the other side of that.
1: I mean, it may be wishful thinking on my part, but it seems to me that the uh, the tr- that just from my sort of use of social media, i.e., Twitter, that the the truth genie is increasingly out of the bottle, and the yep. more and more people that wake up, the more and more this 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 murderous farce just becomes completely and totally unsustainable.
2: Yeah, whenever whenever I I delve into this and I I think through the implications of what's happening and I end up very depressed, um, reliably I can I can search out one of your tweets which talks about <laughs> um, firing squads and and tribunals and and yeah. all the rest of it and it, and it it does cheer me up and but but it, I I think it genuinely could go either way it it, mm. it could actually get to that point that you're talking about I don't think that would happen quite yet but if, if they take us down the route of increasing authoritarianism which is which is, looks like what they're what they're trying to do i think i
1: think jabbing school children is enough on its own to to get people um furiously angry murderously angry
2: well it's 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 one of those sort of ratchet things isn't it
1: because you know because <sighs> we've all been boiled boiled slowly alive in the pot for for 15 months but i think we're, we we are at breaking point now
2: well because there are there are some of us who saw through this on day one hmm um, and now I, I, I sort of delete my tweets every three months, um, you know, just 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 sort of general hygiene, because I, basically I got fed up of having to get locked out of Twitter all the time over something sure. that an you know, offence archaeologist had worked on. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but, but I wish I wish I kept something out because back in back in sort of March of last year, I was saying if you do this. What will happen is you will never be able to get out of it. The mm. political conditions to allow you to get out of it won't happen.
1: I think the and nice – sorry to interrupt. The nice quote I saw on this is you can vote for communism, but you have to shoot your way out of it.
2: Yeah, and and, and that looks like, like what we're happen. But, but the nice thing is it, it is a ratchet effect. So if you were like me, you know, you're know, you never going to go to the other side. But every month there were more and more people who were previously in that sort of whole COVID fear, you know, mm-hmm. trust, the, trust the telly mentality – and step more and more, they're being ratcheted out of it. And, and mm-hmm. that only goes one way.
0: So you mentioned politics and finance will change completely. What, what do you think politics and finance will look like? Because one of the technologies that I think will be a big driver of the change will be the blockchain technology, because it's effectively disintermediating everybody. And I think if there was a fear of what... Davos man would look at and say, well, you can see Bitcoin is disintermediating the banks and um, finance can be dis- disintermediated. We could effectively, we've effectively got the, the technology now to create a blockchain for voting and th- there could be a system for passing laws, creating smart contracts for that, that would disintermediate a lot of the the lawmaking process and, and it goes on and on. Um, is that something you, you you were referring to or thinking about
2: so exactly that I, I think that is brilliantly said I, I think really what we experienced in 2010 with the creation of Bitcoin was was genuinely a revolution um now because of because of what I was doing at the time because I was in sort of emerging technology and, and digital trends I, I spotted Bitcoin very very early um Unfortunately I did what almost everybody else did is th- is, is think oh that's stupid that's never going to catch on and probably ignored it for 10 years you know i, I wish i i wish i'd got into the mining game early um, but but now i mean really within the sort of the last 18 months or so i've i've done a relentless deep dive into crypto um, I mean, it, it's become something in an our possession and 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 actually yes everything that you've just said i think is absolutely true so the the note of optimism that i have i mean well one optimistic approach is that things start to get really bad and then tim's version comes into play because you know i will be glued to my tv when the when the when the firing squads start up but the only peaceful way that we can get out of this effectively i think is something like bitcoin because what will happen is because the current financial system is dying and it is dying
1: because there's there's too much debt the ability to repay the debt um it basically know, it, ended in impossible. 2008.
2: Yeah, it is. I mean, some some of the numbers are absolutely staggering. So over the last twenty years, I mean, I use the last twenty years because you know that's that's how long I've I've sort of been in the working world. Over the last twenty years, um, global debt has gone up by one hundred and eighty-five trillion, and that has created forty-six trillions worth of GDP growth. So effectively, for every four pounds of debt, you're creating one dollar of um, of, of, of underlying GDP growth. you know obviously that is unsustainable. And actually if, if you look at the later numbers, what you see is that the the amount of debt in order to create a, a single dollar of actual GDP growth is going up and up and up. you know the it, it's getting away from us. So so this this debt monster has to has to catch up with us at some point. So this whole system is going to collapse. And I think what's going to happen is, is people are going to be seeing that and they're going to be thinking, right, I, I need to get out of this banking system one way or another. And I'm going to have to get into something that has zero counterparty risk.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so gold is an example of one of those things.
2: Yeah. So I always say to people, physical gold land and Bitcoin.
1: Um, you know, And you, you could extend that to, say, listed listed equity of businesses that are run by proper entrepreneurial people with little or no debt because that would sort of count I mean clearly you've got market risk but you don't have counterparty risk
2: yeah I mean do you know I mean if if the banking system collapses what what happens to the market I don't know I haven't been able to figure that out no no I'm
1: I'm just I'm just I'm just I'm just just effectively reflecting what we do with our own client portfolios yeah and we use trend followers as, as systematic trend followers as um if you like crisis hedge we use real assets, including gold and silver, as inflation and crisis hedge, and then we allocate to sensibly priced listed businesses to get, if you like, exposure to entrepreneurial capitalism.
2: Right. Yeah. So, I mean, innovation is definitely, definitely underpriced. Um, I mean, if I mean, just look at the trend of people going into basically indexation these days. You know, everybody going into indexation.
1: All. In I mean, that seems say- like a that seems like a death wish to me.
2: Well, I mean, yeah. And, and, you know, what they're doing is they're saving themselves, you know, one, one and a half percent by going for this index fund. But but if you look at the volume of the money, I can't remember what percentage it is, but it's but it's the majority of the money and it could be a large majority of the money. is basically just it's, 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 it's like those um, fish. You see them in the sea and they, and they just all dart and they just move in the same direction. They're just following each other. That, that's what indexation is doing. And so effectively, what that means is that is that innovation is severely underpriced. So absolutely. I mean, I'd, I'd agree with that.
1: The thing that's most dangerous that I think is is insufficiently understood is the risk of indexation when it's applied to the bond market, because the the the, the way bond investors tend to operate is that they will buy those that are indexed anyway. Will buy, you know, they they are obligated to buy the most heavily um, indebted issuers. If you think about that, that's nonsense on stilts because you're saying, yeah. well, I don't really care about quality. Just give me give me the shittiest, worst, you know, worst." counterparty risk you can get the worst credit risk that's that's out there which is going to be you know markets like the us which is sort of notionally what i mean is the us still even triple a i doubt it but you've got you know you'll have these giant borrowers that are the worst things you want to be invested in and yet everyone that's following an index route has to own this crap
2: are are you um you couldn't make it up we don't
1: we'd have a single bond investment
2: right okay yeah uh well i mean I mean, bonds, for for my mind, they're basically um, return-free risk. Exactly right. I I don't see the value in them.
1: But the thing is, because indexation exists, there are plenty of people who who use them. And the the people who are most vulnerable are the the pension funds who are obligated by regulatory fiat to own this nonsense. So at at some point, this is going to go bang and a lot of lawsuits are going to happen.
2: Well, yeah, and 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 look, the pension funds. I mean, they're in their own world of hurt because I mean, the, these guys desperately need yield. I mean, um, you know, we all saw those stories not so long ago about BlackRock um, buying up all the the homes and, and outbidding. Um, I, I think that was predominantly a, a U.S. story.
1: But, but Lloyd's you know, Lloyd is doing the same thing. We were talking about it on a previous show, um, right? Okay, but in the UK.
2: I'm, I, I'm i'm not sure what, what's driving the lawyer's decision but i mean blackrock certainly i mean what, what what are they they're an institutional pension fund manager what do pensions funds need they desperately need yield they, they they're, all, they're also money.
1: the devil incarnate but that's, well
2: there's there's also that but i mean they, they've still got their their pension contribute the pension payouts to, to achieve every month and and you can't get yield i mean when i left when i left the city um and, and this was you know what about, well, about three years ago now whenever i bumped into somebody that i hadn't seen for a while it was you know how are you doing how are the kids how's how's the other half and then and then immediately the conversation returns to, do you know where I can get any yield? You
0: know, Got <laughs> any good stuff.
2: Yeah. So so the only thing left is you have to go and buy a property because it's the only thing that gives you yield. So you're now in the situation where people, uh, people's own pension funds are buying their houses off them to keep them as basically indented ret- uh, renters uh, for the rest of their life. I mean, th- this is the end of a financial cycle madness.
0: How do you see the first cracks appearing in this whole system, do you see a deflationary squeeze as technology bites, or do you see an inflationary boom?
2: Well, I mean that that is the that is the great question, isn't it?
0: Because, it's a hard one, uh,
2: and, and 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 really, I, c- I can't come down on either side, but I'm I'm not sure that it necessarily matters because either way, we're doomed. Well, the the, the monetary system is doomed. We're not doomed. We're going to, we're going to be perfectly fine. But you know, on, on the deflationary side. There's some really strong arguments for that because you've. I mean, at the moment, you've. I mean, a lot of the baby boomers are retiring, but there's still a lot of them in in the workplace. Um, they're they're the largest generation. Then you've got the millennials; they're the largest generation. They're all competing for jobs. Um, against that, you've got. Um, you, you've got you, you've got the Far East, you've got the Southeast Asia. All of these people are sort of coming online and getting increasingly skilled up. They're competing for jobs, and if that if that's not bad enough, you're competing for jobs against the algorithm and the software. Um, so so the, the job side of thing is, is 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 having a deflationary effect. On top of that, technology is having a deflationary effect, like I talked about. Um, I gave the example of photographs, but that's probably going to happen fairly soon to um, drivers. So the, so the largest category of um, the, uh, of, of work for, for unskilled males is driver. Um, you know, you can already buy a Tesla car that will take you from home to office with, without any interventions. That is not to say you will do it 100% of the time. It's still at the point where you have to be ready to take over at any time, and sometimes you will. But on a certain number of occasions, it will actually successfully complete that journey from home to office without, without zero interventions. That technology is going to be perfected at some point in the next five to ten years I don't know when and then that whole category of work is going to disappear you know you look at something like um, mass adoption of 3D printing um, so, so for example I've got a friend who's into um, paddle boarding and he broke the fin thing that goes underneath he went on the website for the paddleboard, and they wanted to charge him 120 quid to get this new fin um, but he had access to a 3D printer at work so he printed one off it cost him about 70 pence yeah. You know, what happens when that technology becomes widely available in the market? You know, what happens when um you know, you know, one of my big feces is 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 I'm fairly certain that Amazon is going to take over GPs. And the reason for that is I mean I mean GPs I mean all they do is dark is dole out medication. They, they,
1: they, they used they used to do that. Now they just hide under their desk and don't see their patients anymore.
2: Well, they they, they, they dole out medication from the other end of the phone line. Mm. So functionally, what is the difference to going on speaking to some bot and you type in your condition um, and that bot, you know, you might be uncomfortable with that idea, but but actually that, that bot is probably very quickly going to be better than, than than even a good GP. And the reason is because that bot is speaking to hundreds of thousands of people across the world at any given moment. And and its machine learning algorithm is is kicking in, and it is learning to spot trends that even good doctors would not recognise.
1: Paul, if I'm if I'm correct, I think I recall Barry Norris uh, mentioning one of his investments was in telemedicine.
0: Yes, oh good memory, yeah. And and of course, this system can cross-reference everything that it's saying from different places and and learn better, which is effectively what Tesla cars do, or what the machine learning Cars of the future will be doing sharing information immediately across its whole network. So I think on the transport thing, the way I I envisaged the future was you'll have a combination of public tr- private transport. So effectively, no one will have a car, but you will be able to call a driverless car to your door and then jump in that possibly with sharing with another passenger or not if you pay a bit more. And it will either drive you or or you will drive it to another location. And then it will go off and do the same, uh, say, in your office uh, in the city to, to someone else. So I think there there is an argument to say that there there's a lot of cars sitting on the road doing absolutely nothing. And a few apps have tried to do a car share system, which doesn't really work that well because you've got an insurance problem and... You know what if somebody dings it and and it, it can work up to a point, but I I think that's that's where the real um, that's where the technology will be used. You, there will be a public p- private transport system that you can call at any time at any place. There isn't any drivers. It's just AI, and um, a lot of the journeys will be done. Short journeys, especially in the city, will be done like that
2: yeah i mean i agree so i think the stat is something like 95 percent of the time the average car is sat doing nothing um you know and, and and when it comes to will you own your own car or not i mean it's it's going to effectively be the same argument as you know uh, when it comes to movies you know when was the last time you guys bought a dvd
0: oh, I buy, I, oh don't ask me because i buy them all the time
2: oh right okay well yeah okay. I,
0: I'm i'm actually very contrary like that i'm i'm now um, in 2012, I predicted that Netflix would would take over and everyone laughed at me. And now I'm going the opposite way and buying all the DVDs I can get my hands on because um, <clears throat> what I don't like is when I really like a film and they take it off. So I want to have it there. And also, I think they'll become collectible in the same way that vinyl became, you know, went out and then suddenly comes back in. VHS is even becoming more valuable. But the, prob- the problem with VHS is even if you collect it the quality so poor it's not really worth it but dvds and blu-rays i think are going to start to go up in value
1: and just just to endorse paul's point there so i i was pissed off because i had a i'd bought a series of the x files on amazon prime and was planning to watch whatever it was series seven and then suddenly discovered that um although i'd actually paid for it it had been the rights to it had been bought by disney and so i now had to buy it off disney again despite having paid for it in the first place and that can happen with digital uh, entertainment.
0: That's pretty shocking, actually. I think that's that's re- really. You should have at least been refunded for what you bought before. But
1: I, you know, and the, but this is you know if you if you dance with the devil, or whatever, <laughs> sup sup, <laughs> sup with the devil, because the, the problem with Amazon is it's so damn good at fulfillment, but it, that comes at a tremendous price, and the price is that you know ultimately you're at risk of owning nothing and being very unhappy.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, and <laughs> uh, this uh, love it yeah, exactly. So, so this <laughs> this is the dark concern. Is that you know you know a lot of us are worried about this sort of technocracy future and the end of privacy and the end of, of freedom and all the rest of it. But the counter argument is is you know perhaps we are already in that lobster pot. You know perhaps we have already given away all of our privacy. We just gave it away to you know Google and all the rest of it, and they know everything about us. Um, so it, it's basically all that's happening is governments are playing catch up, and, oh, and yeah. they are getting to find out all about us. Slightly, wasn't, wasn't that
0: something? Wasn't that something we talked about, Tim? About how. The governments could actually decide to take over these technology companies because they're too—they are so damn powerful. They Well, there so is. Much. I mean,
1: the, the, the future is—it seems to be it's going to be a, a, a huge clash of various interests seeking to con- seeking to control money and power, which I think is what what's happening in, behind the scenes anyway in in terms of the sort of the whole Convid scam. I was going to go take a slightly left field uh, question for for Dan. This may not feel appropriate, and you may may not want to answer it, but to what extent do you think there is a spiritual dimension to to all of this? In other words, a a battle between good and evil is what I'm getting at.
2: That that is a really interesting question. So, you know, 10 years ago, I would have dismissed that out of hand instantly. Um, You know, 10 years ago, I would have told you that my favorite book was, uh, was it Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion? You know, mm. I, I read that at the time and I thought, you know. But then he
1: became a giant ass hat in the last 10 years. Has, well, he, has he really? What, yeah, why, yeah why it's is very unsound. Well, I think probably Brexit madness was the first thing for him. And then he just got worse. So I
2: think there's an argument to say he always was. Mm. But I, I, I get what you're saying. But So, no, look, I am not a religious character. And, you know, I've, I've always thought that it's, you know, irrational, all that kind of stuff. But I, I find myself increasingly looking at what's going on. And the, and there is a big part of me that thinks all of this behavior can be explained through the perverse incentives. So if money is corrupted, so, so so look at it like this: let's say we're playing Monopoly, and you've got a clear set of rules. Um, you know how you know how that game plays. Let's say you change it so that now um, all that dilly dallying around with buying houses and streets and stuff—that's small fry compared to the amount of money that you get for going past Go every time. Mm. and the rules always change, and the people who get the money, that always changes. That's effectively our money system. So money is created at the central bank level. It's passed out to the finance sector.
1: The people who are closest to the money get get the perks.
2: Exactly right. So, I mean, we, we, we're not quite at the banana republic level where government just prints money. And well, hang money. on.
1: It's currently 8.37 on Tuesday, the 7th of uh, September. We might be at banana republic state by the morning. As I tweeted earlier, it's amazing to think that at one point we were worried about the effect Jeremy Corbyn was going to have on the economy. Little uh, did we know what Boris had in store for us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Oh, it be, oh I, I, I can only assume that there let, are let, let, let legions come, of lifetime conservatives that are spinning and they haven't even been buried yet, but they're still spinning in their graves. I mean, let's I, I
2: want to come. OK, I want to come back to that. But first of all, I want to I want to address the spirituality. Yeah. You know? so, so where it was I mean, it's a we, we're not quite at the Banana Republic stuff of just printing money and then government spending it. You know, what we do is, is we print the money, we hand it to Goldman Sachs. We, we shuffle our feet for 20 minutes and then they sell it back to us, you know, and and, and and then we're off to the races. And that's why we've ended up in the bizarre situation. And, and that's what a paper money system does, is it necessarily centralises all of the power. I mean, it has to, because the money is created in government, washed through the financial sector and then back to government. So by necessity, over time, as the amount of debt increases and the supply of money, of new money increases, there is no other outcome than government growing and centralising, and that's why we are seeing this increase in authoritarianism, because it cannot go any other way. Hmm. So even though I can explain pretty much all of this through that perverse incentive systems of money, all the same, when I look at this government, and you know particularly the Australian government and, and some other governments around the world, and particularly the push around vaccines, is I look at it, and I uh, and even with that explanation, that very rational explanation, I find it very difficult to not think that there is something evil going on. Now, if you have accepted that evil exists, then you know you're probably coming at it the wrong way. But it does start, it, it does make you start to ask questions. So the answer is 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 no, I'm I'm not spiritual, but that is an opinion which I'm rapidly becoming less confident of. The more genuine
1: evil I see in the world. Mic drop moment. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I'm just thinking. Um, I mean, Tim, you, you. I'm, I'm very much not religious. I was born Roman Catholic, and you know, had to do all the stuff that you're supposed to do—first communion and all that.
1: Be- bells and smells.
0: I, I, um, I hated going to Saturday school. And, um, and actually I wasn't, I, you have, you're supposed to be confirmed. So you have to do three things in order to get married in the church. And the final thing I had to do to get married in the church, my mum being religious, wanted me to do that. I had to go back into school effectively and do, um, a, another course, like a, like it was a few, few weeks of, of um, religious studies so i could be confirmed and i have to say i met some of the nicest people but i've also met some of the some of the the kind of rudest and most how can i put it what's a good word for for somebody who thinks obnoxious yeah somebody who just thinks they're above everybody and pompous yeah i mean they, they were like oh, you know, this lady, she doesn't believe in our lady and she's not going to go to heaven and all this sort of shit.
1: Self-righteous.
0: And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, you're supposed to be, you're in a church, you're learning to be tolerant of other people and you're acting like this. It's like you seem to forget everything you've you've been taught. And, you know, the teachings of the Bible were, well, God decided to blow these trumpets and the walls fell down and this was the area that god wanted to to protect and these were the chosen people and i was like why were they the chosen people you know god made, fair, that didn't... is
1: old te- that is old testament bible well, though I well I'm, so-
0: I'm sorry i didn't write it you know it's like i'm not, uh, you know this is the stuff they 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 teach and so i'm, I'm to, like to
2: be fair if we get a return of religion it is the old testament god that i want to come back right now yeah well the, you know that that or Trump? I mean, somebody who's got that sort of. Well, message. you
1: say that like there may be a difference. <laughs> well,
2: well, well, possibly. Maybe his he is his visage on earth. I don't know, but um, you know, it, it is that sort of Old Testament fire that we 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 need back again. So, so I mean, what, where where does that bring you, Paul? I mean, well, you...
0: well, well, I I think what what I think you can be spiritual, and I think you can believe in evil in in man, and good in man, and obviously woman and. But I don't believe that there is. Um, a, there may be a God, but it's not the God that we're being told about, because the universe is is infinite, and there's so much that we don't understand, that, that the possibility is there. But what I don't like about religion, personally, is when it says things like, "Okay, you've you've got to have an abortion, you've got to be married before." Um,
1: a prescriptive you, religion, in other words, exactly
0: like things that really affect people's lives made arbitrarily. You know, if if you actually study religion properly and go back to why, for example, they they think that you you shouldn't use a condom um, protection, is because some someone within the church just decided that the whole baby was within the sperm, and therefore you shouldn't kill that baby and therefore using a condom is 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 um
2: but, but that that is essentially a human power structure that it that is individuals exactly. who are deciding on the rules and they're putting it exactly. forth and they are they, they are basically using it as a system to control other people exactly that, I don't think that's what I'm talking about what okay. I'm talking about is is something far more primeval is i'm I'm starting to suspect that maybe there is some underlying evil which is influencing things and therefore i start to wonder perhaps there is a flip side of that you know maybe evil is the only thing exists and and, you know humanity is basically just mushrooms growing out of a big pot of evil and uh, essentially getting drawn back in every now and again when you say evil you
0: mean evil people
2: so so, take the vaccine thing for example um you know this government is obviously hell-bent on on vaccinating children where for, they have for
1: reason for reasons that should be investigated well you because know, it's just... a completely unscienced perspective everything about this farce has basically junked all accepted science in favor of what should we do now or well, the chinese do this let's do that
2: yeah and it, it is very easy to get conspiratorial so i mean look if anyone wants to go and read my threads on on how potentially this this could very much look like a plan. Go to uh, my my Twitter profile, which is is King Bingo underscore, and I've got a couple of uh, uh, threads on there which I sort of uh, lay this out. and And I can explain a lot of things. I can explain, you know, why they're behaving the way are they are. I can explain why lockdowns, because you know they they needed to save the banking system. They needed to flood the system with liquidity. We can go into
0: um, some of this. We have time to talk about some parts of this if you'd like
2: yeah absolutely so i mean well okay so so look, the, the, the key thing is is as i mentioned earlier the the world economic Forum they, they knew that the system was, was going to come to an end because there was there was far too much debt now the traditional answer to how do you get out of debt is that you grow the underlying rate of the economy
1: well you have you have you have three options you can you can either engineer enough economic growth to keep the debt serviced or you can default on it or you can inflate it away but yeah, the so, so is all of those not, are problematic for one for one constituency or another. But what seems to be happening is they're taking the inflationary route, which is the one that always is ultimately the, the policy of last resort. And that's a disaster for anyone left holding the damn debt.
2: Well, and the reason the inflationary option doesn't work there um, is, is because you always end up getting hyperinflation and the system collapses. But, but what the brilliance of lockdown is, is you can flood the system with excess liquidity and no, no one can you, spend it on anything. Yeah, but if you stamp on the real economy at the same time, then you you avoid that hyperinflation problem. So effectively you're reducing the denominator, the value of the debt. The Q ancillary benefit is that if you happen to be a rich person and all of your assets are in are, are financial well financialized assets or hard assets, so, so or yeah, they all go up and and the only people that suffer are the little people, the little people, mm. which is the vast majority of, of of the population, who who rely on a wage rather than an asset income? You know, those guys get completely screwed over, and 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 you've got to think. You know, I, I find it almost impossible to believe the the world economic forum who i know so the three big three uh, three big themes that i put out at the beginning of this podcast which is the end of the debt cycle the end of the age of capital and the technology is deflationary and will therefore lead to a collapse of the, of the money system because i'm reading what the world economic forum is putting out, i know that they know this and i know that those sort of people would not have just stood by and let it happen to them they would have not just you know said you know farewell good night and and disappeared into the ages and i think a lot of what's happening at the moment is them engineering away in order to remain in control so if they do
1: nothing they become obsolete to continue that to continue that sort of thread that that thought how on earth have they managed to co-opt what what appears to be all of the g7 participants in government and others have they bribed them have they got compromise on them
2: no, no, so I, I think actually most of them are, they think they are responding altruistically. So I, I've heard secondhand from people who have attended Davos um, because when you get a whole bunch of hanger ons, and I've speaking, spoken to some of the hanger ons, and you know, for years, Davos now, they have been playing videos of cities erupting and riots and all that kind of thing. And the context is basically if the financial system collapses, um, you know, Welfare becomes unviable now if if you look at a, the, if you look at the expenditure of a, of a government the uk government for example, um, they are basic they are a welfare state. Mm. the uk government is a welfare state, predominantly pensions, which also does hospitals. It has bad, a little bit of, yeah it it has a little bit of education, bad it thing. has a tiny amount of national defense, and everything else is in the margins. Mm. But if you if you look at the expenditure of the UK, ballot, it is it is almost entirely a welfare state, and that's what you use to buy your votes. So look, what happens if the if the monetary system collapses? Well, all those welfare transfers basically disappear. The ability to play pay the police, which protects you from the people who will then start rioting, disappears.
1: I no longer have that faith in the police, though. I'm I'm more worried about the police than I'm about the rioters.
2: No, 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 absolutely. The, the, the police. So so, 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 government is a criminal organisation, and the police are the enforcers. Now, I'm saying that as somebody who, whose father was a police officer mm. for, for thirty years. My best friend is a police officer. I, I have no disrespect for rank and file police officers, mm. um, but the the leadership. I mean, they they will follow basically any order. And and as you've seen in Australia, you know, yeah. If a year from now, if Australian police started shooting orphans
1: it would not be a surprise.
2: It, it would not. I mean, they, 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 they could get to this point. Right. So, so Davos knows that this is coming. And they say to the national politicians throughout the world is, if we do not do something, then all of the pensioners are going to get wiped out. All of the people that rely on you for welfare are going to get wiped out. Now, unfortunately, this, this is the reality because for decades, politicians have overspent. And why wouldn't they? Because look, if you're a politician, you want to buy votes today, and why wouldn't you do that when you when, when the money that you're buying those votes with is 30-year debt? So, of course, you're going to do that.
1: Somebody else's problem to deal with.
2: Exactly. And and, and actually, somebody else, whoever that is, they don't mind either because they could, they could pull the same trick. But the problem is, is, is that the level of debt goes up and the, the amount of unaffordable government programs increases. And so, every time you go through a short-term debt cycle and you get that recession – you have to lower interest rates in order to avoid um, liquidating companies. They're not so worried about that, who cannot afford the debt. What they're more concerned about is they don't want to stop the social programs that they can't afford. So every time you go for a short-term debt cycle, you lower the amount of interest rates that
1: are affordable going forward. But now and now we're that's, at the zero lower band, so exactly. it's game over.
2: So well, in, and it, and the, it, in the late 80s, you could have walked into any high street bank and got 8 or 9% on your money, and and these days you get zero.
0: Probably, probably even more. But w- wasn't... Th- how about, this is an, an idea, I think I mentioned on one of the other podcasts that we did. Um, the At some point, interest rates used to work as a mechanism for private businesses, because obviously they were borrowing and they had most of the debt. The government had some debt, but not very much. Now we're at a point where they have to keep interest rates low, because the government's got so much debt. And it yeah. actually doesn't matter what debt companies have got. They can't afford to raise it for their own sake, even if the economy should have higher interest rates. Its its impact on the bond markets is just going to be magnified.
2: Well, exactly. So that, that's the difference between the nineteen eighty seven recession and and the current one. So in the late eighties, it was the it was the corporates and the individuals who owned all the debt. So if you need to go through restructuring, you know, fine. Whatever government doesn't care. But these days, the government they own all the debt. Yeah. So you know they can't default so so they're in this situation where if, if they increase rates they, they can't make the interest payments, they fall over. so they've got to stop the rates going up so they have to print money. but there's only they, they have to be incredibly careful with that because you know if they print too much money, the bond markets are going to revolt and they're going to want higher yield and then instead of doing QE you're going to be into into yield control. Which is basically the inverse of, of, of QE. So no you know, no matter how you get to it, you know, they are on a very short path at the moment. And and so this is this is this is my note of hope, which is in order to hang on to the power that they have, they have got no choice at this point but increased authoritarianism, control, and centralization of power, centralization of privacy. But the flip side is is that all we really need to do is to refuse to cooperate for this for long enough, and it will evaporate by itself. It will. This this whole system is going away. All we need to do is is basically not let them bring in their social credit system and their CBDCs, uh, their central bank digital currencies. Um, and, and they will become as irrelevant as a feudal lord and, and the medieval bishop in time, because the, you know, it's going to collapse by itself.
0: Not um, allowing CBDCs to come in is going to be a big problem, because if we are forced to pay taxes in said crypto, government cryptocurrency, then how how can you how can you fight against that?
2: Because in in order to bring in a CBDC, what they need is a digital ID. It just so happens that the last 15 months has miraculously produced the need for a digital ID. That that's basically what the vaccine passports are.
1: Not for now, me. I mean, for government, maybe not for me. I don't yeah. need one.
2: No, no, absolutely. But 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 they, they are trying to get. They are basically trying to get a, a digital ID system up and running at that point all they need to do well, I say all they need to do is, is they need to build out the tech for a digital wallet they will try and do this themselves and fail and eventually they will reach out to one of the, the one of the layer one solutions out there in, in, in crypto world like a, I don't know a Cardano or Ethereum or something say.
1: build as a, 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 a CBDC and if that becomes public knowledge I will personally assassinate the CEO of that firm <laughs> Um,
2: that would probably be a good idea but you know you need to link it to a national id so if we can slow them down with the digital id um it makes that introduction step of a of a cbdc that much harder now that having could, said can
0: they just use national insurance numbers uh, national insurance yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah Well, it's it's a bit clunky and it's a bit paper based you know you, you don't really want a postal based system an, an admin based system for a blockchain solution what you what you really need is a is a blockchain based um id system or digital id system but you've got a reference
0: though i don't i don't know what you mean by by that sorry everyone has a has a um has a unique national insurance number so couldn't you just tie it to that
2: yeah possibly i mean maybe that would work i mean my sense is that it's clunky, and they probably would have more, made more progress down that route if, if they were able to do it. If, if, it's, if, it, if, it, if it's a natively built um, digital ID system, it would be significantly better. But you know, may, maybe they can upgrade the national insurance system in order to to adapt to that. It's, it, it, it's possible, I suppose. But the point is, they don't have it yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, and hopefully, and hopefully, they never will.
2: And then, and then, of course, once they get into once they get into a central bank digital currency, um, you know that that really is—it's
1: pretty much gear. game over. Pretty much game over for freedom.
2: Yeah, because I mean, think about what they can do with it. So, I mean, at the moment, the Australians are going down the route of do absolutely everything we say, otherwise we'll cost you around the face with a truncheon. If you have a CBDC, you don't even need to do that. I mean,
1: you you can sort of it's turn, turn 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 people's money off.
2: Well, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you you can nudge people any way you want. So you can say, right, you know, what we're going to do is um, we're going to cut down the amount of red meat and sugar that you consume. So you're only allowed to spend £30 a week on red meat or sugar and your wallet will stop um, paying out if you try and buy anything beyond that. We We can introduce carbon credits. You can't only fill up your car or you can travel so many times or you can fly abroad. But every time you travel after the first time, the taxes can double or alternatively we can say you know look in order to stimulate the economy what we're going to do is we're going to say you get paid on monday morning and at midnight on sunday that money is going to evaporate it's going to cease to exist so get out there and consume um, what that effectively does is it is it locks you into whatever position you are because if you cannot save you can never move up your your, your social position
0: but you could you, you move it into accumulate a, wealth. I see what you're saying but you could always move it into another asset you could just buy bitcoin or you know, something else.
1: Well, if, yeah, if, but, it, but it presumes the existence of a black economy then.
0: Well, it's not a black economy. I mean, it's it's just you're investing in, in other things. So you've got to spend the money so you buy gold instead. And, 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 if, and, and, if then, they and then you, you can, it and then you can the transfer central it back.
2: Currency, if, 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 but with a central bank digital currency, they can control what you can buy. If they decide you don't, that you do not get to buy something, then you you don't buy it. You know, the transaction doesn't go through.
0: Right. So they would stop you from buying... Basically gold, but i i can't see i can't see people agreeing to that. That would yeah. Just but the be, point
1: is that we we may already be so far down the line that we don't get a say in it. I, but,
0: I just no. can't believe. I, I just think that would be a step too far. And it's uh, it's 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 a nobody
1: except government is saying this is a desirable thing. But yeah, that's not the issue. The issue is we've already gone. We already we're already sliding down a slippery slope at a rate of knots. We
0: are, but we're also um extrapolating what the technology can do and surmising that that's what they're going to do with it without actually without them actually saying that that's what they're going to do with well to a
1: cunt with a hammer anything looks like a nail
0: that could be yeah so
1: so the question the question here is paul is is you're right the technology
2: can do this the only question becomes the time frame so do i think they will do any of the stuff that i've just described on day one no actually What they do on day one is they say, what we want to do is we want to stimulate the economy directly. We're going to bring in a UBI. So what we're going to do is we're going to pay everybody who signs up for one of these digital wallets, we're going to pay you £200 a month. And that's going to go straight into your wallet. And everybody's going to say, yes, please, I'll go on to that. And a bit like the Amazon thing or a bit like the Netflix thing, it will become eventually so frictionless, so preferable, that you you'll start leaving cash behind. And at that point, it's very easy to turn off cash. Once they've got you in the system and they've enticed you in with the free money, which, you know, they, they're creating at the back end anyway, which, which they're going to be creating at the government layer. At any point, they can ratchet up all of those things that I talked about. It will not happen on day one, but you can guarantee within the next 20 years, a crisis will appear. And it could be a climate crisis or it could be some other crisis. And as emergency temporary measure, they will bring in some of those things. And that temporary measure will never go away. And then 10, 15 years later, another crisis will emerge and those things will be ratcheted up. So if I were to ask you, Paul, can, if you were to believe that some of the things that are happening now, if I told you some of the things were happening now two years ago, you simply wouldn't believe me. That That's the same trail that you get onto with CBDCs.
0: The, I know what you're saying. And I am not looking in that in those terms. I'm look, look, looking at these things in technological terms. And the fact that until 2010, we didn't have the technology for central bank or for, for digital currency at all, and then we had it, it seemed like a natural progression given that cash has been slowly declining in use anyway, and people use credit cards and other things. Now... Bitcoin is not a replacement for that type of transaction, but other technologies will come forward that will make it possible. Um, it is a it is a, a natural progression that the bank, the central banks. I've said it m- way before any of this happened that the central banks would would adopt it. Um, it's it's just it's technology. It's like it does things more efficiently. It means in other ways that you don't have. Um, you don't have fraud in in the sense that you don't have people printing their own money or or um or, or you know forging money, and there's a lot of that going on. So there there are a flip side to having a digital currency that might not actually be a bad thing. Dare I say it? But I think the best way the system could work is in parallel. I think I don't think we should get rid of cash. I think it would be a massive mistake but I can see why they would be drawn to a technology that does not allow, doesn't mean you have to physically print something. And it also means that you can't, you you, you know, you can't forge loads of money and notes. You'd have to keep changing it every year or every few years because of the counterfeits.
2: So, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. There are going to be a huge number of advantages to it. And actually I don't think that we can avoid it. But that, that does not negate the point that it gives them a skill set. It gives them an ability of control yeah. that will always be there. Even if they never use it, it will always be sat there in the wings available for them to use.
0: That's what I'm not denying. I'm saying, yes, yeah. I, I can see what exactly what you're saying. But I'm, I'm saying it's a big step to them being able to do that and them actually doing it. Because I think the public would be completely outraged by that like completely and I, I don't I, think they
1: give a shit though. I think that's the problem. We're already we already past that stage. I
0: don't I don't you know Tim
1: to, I think you only have to look at what, what Boris has announced today putting taxes up, putting national insurance up, putting um, the tax on dividend payments up. Um, all to pay for a mess that he fucking started in the first place.
0: Well that was always going to be the case, wasn't it? I mean it, to to think that that no that that taxes wouldn't have to go up to pay for all, all the checks that he's been writing is is like, well, it, you know, I'm not saying that it, it excuses it, but it's it, it really isn't a surprise. Um, but but, but
2: that- the point the point you're making there, Paul, is, is not so much that, um, you know, all, all of this is not possible. It's that you have a residual faith in the British public to resist it. Yeah. Now, I used to have that faith as well, but then I watched, whatever it was, 19,000 girls get abused in the north of England, and, and the British public's reaction was... surrender effectively Mm. you know then i watched them shut us down for a year with ludicrous rationale um i watched them empower you know the the big tech businesses the big distribution businesses while crushing small businesses you know shutting kids out of school um you know taking away our freedoms running up an enormous amount of debt and the general public's reaction was meh again so you know my faith in The public to respond to some of this stuff, I've got to say, is is feeling pretty low. So if we give the government a, 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 a technology which enables them to oppress us to an unprecedented degree, am I confident they will never be able to use that because the British public will respond? I have to say I don't I don't have that confidence. And, and the solution is, and, and you touched on this, you, you, one of the points you made is one of the advantages of a, of a CBDC will be the elimination of fraud. Now, let's be clear. The biggest fraud by far happens at the government level, which is they print money basically out of fresh air in yeah. order to spend more than they have. You know, that level of fraud is many, many orders of magnitude greater the level than you know someone running off a dodgy £20 note in their you know, back garden shed with a with a half decent printer. It is that governmental level that is the biggest problem. So, so the the only solution that I think the only peaceful solution out of all of this, the only way that we don't go through a a decade of of absolute crisis, is the adoption of of cryptocurrencies, decentralized cryptocurrencies, something like Bitcoin. Now, what that might look like is because they are printing so much. Because they're becoming madder, their spending is spiraling upwards and therefore their printing is going upwards. So and people are starting to notice this. Even, even on the weekly shop level, people are starting to notice that this inflation is getting worrying. And the people are also noticing that asset prices are going up because the denominator, the money itself, is being reduced. So people are going to see this and people are going to start naturally transitioning over to this crypto world, to this Bitcoin world and what that potentially means is that if they are not ready to go because i agree with you all of this technology is still very very new and the private sector is innovating very fast but government simply cannot cannot operate at that speed they are trying to catch up but they can't people will naturally transition over to this new world and at some point so many people will have transition to this new world that you can let the old system collapse And it will be painful, but not as painful because so many people have already made that transition over to the new system. And that is the only positive, clean, non-violent way that I think we can get out of this because every other route is either government oppression or Tim's Twitter feed.
1: (laughs) I'm beginning to think that non-violence is uh, overrated.
2: Well, the the big problem with the scenario that I outline is that you know these guys will never get their comeuppance because you know you know people like Bill Gates you know he hates Bitcoin he hates blockchains he hates all the rest of it um, but he can think that now and he he can wait till Bitcoin goes to fourteen million dollars a, a Bitcoin and then he can jump in and he's still going to be one of the richest people on earth. Um, so so you know the the non the non-violent solution also means that we never get that day of comeuppance but in order to get to the tim twitter feed um version of events where they do get their comeuppance that's only going to happen if we go through a period of absolute hell Mm. and we are already on that road at the moment um but it could get a hell of a lot worse um the only other thing i would mention is is i am encouraged somewhat by seeing that the people are finally starting to rise up. You know, you are seeing bigger and bigger pushbacks in cities all over the world. So, you know, I, I really do think we're on the knife edge here. We could easily go either way. We could we could repudiate this um, increased authoritarian government response, in which case we end up with a separation of state and money, or they get away with it. And and we could be looking at at least a decade, if not a generation of servitude, effectively. And I, I, I honestly don't know which
1: way it's going to go at the moment. I don't think anybody does, to be fair. Are there any countries that you're
0: looking at that look better to live in than the UK?
1: North Korea.
2: That, <laughs> that, that is almost a nightly conversation with the wife, because the wife works in the NHS. Um, and obviously the talk at the moment. So, so Boris Johnson stood up in, in Parliament today and he was asked, you know, you're, you're raising taxes to pay for social care. But the government's own estimations is that 40,000 people are going to leave um, the care home sector because of your jab requirements. Yeah. What are you going to do about that, Prime Minister? And his response was, well, a lot of these people are taking jobs in the NHS. So what we'd do is, we is you know we we might have to introduce a a a, a a a a vaccine mandate in the NHS because people are going there. So effectively, you okay. know, care homes care homes were the canary in the coal mine. You know, they they did that because they couldn't afford doing it to the NHS because they had to see what the pushback was, and the pushback was larger than they was expecting. So the only sane solution to that is is to retreat, but they've gone the other way and saying. Well, we're not we're not hammering them hard enough. You know, we need to hammer them in the NHS as well. You know, this is this is a doom loop spiral, which is which is getting completely out of control. So anyway, if if the wife um, is fired from the NHS for not taking her vax, you know, at that point we get into the problem, which is you know, why do we stay in a high tax economy, when at that point both of us are going to be working online?
1: Because they've locked the
2: borders. Yeah. And, and you, you've got to wonder, right? So, so there there is a fantastic book. It's called The Sovereign Individual. It was written in 1997 by Lord William Rees-Mogg, the, the dad of the, the parliamentarian. I,
1: I heard you on Dellingpole, I think, mentioned this. So I've got a copy on Kindle on the back of that.
2: It is extraordinary book. It is so pressing. I mean, it, it predicted Bitcoin 10 years before it happened. But you, you start getting into the predictions of what government will do. And the most striking thing is there's a paragraph in there that they actually predict that governments will in, will fake a pandemic in order to discourage people from international travel. Now, let's play this out, OK? So in a world where you can work from home just as easily as you can go into the office, you know, we've got 1.2 million people working in the financial sector. Most of those can work from home. Most of those have worked from home perfectly fine over the last year. If somewhere within the UK time zone, you know, let's take – I know, either Portugal or, or Greece or something like that. If they said, you know, we are going to become a very low tax economy, um, and we're going to what, upgrade. What, what,
1: a, what time are the flights? Well, the thing is, in in one respect, it doesn't matter because you would basically work from there, and then you would you would. No, I'm saying that there'd be a cascade of people. I mean, the country would be rocked. Yeah. By, the, by the number of people well, flooding out of it
2: I mean, uh, no it, it, it would be a trickle at first I mean pe- pe- people would start to go you know what, what you'd find is you know the old the older guys in the firm who made their money you know the partners who, who only come in for the board meetings anyway they would be the first to go they'd be like well, okay I'm going off to Portugal to, the, to this low tax environment I'm just going to dial in from now on you know and then it'd be a trickle then then one of the analyst teams would go and then and then you know whole sections of the economy would go now now this has been fairly inevitable for a while so in order to, to discourage something like that what you want to do is you want to make international travel as dehumanizing as possible because back in 2019 we didn't we didn't have the habit of working from home anyway so it was less of an issue but let's say you know i I don't know a multi or whatever you know one of these one of these countries in this time zone had done that had gone for the old, old basically the cayman's island route what you would have is increasingly people living out there and then jumping on a quick flight to come back a quick two day stopover to, for an important board meeting or meeting or, or or something like that if you can make international travel as difficult and dehumanizing as possible you probably can't stop it entirely you make the attraction of living in a low tax jurisdiction far less interesting and that's just one of the things that the sovereign individual pointed out so i mean yeah absolutely i recommend Dig into that book because they 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 predicted a whole bunch of this. They predicted the death of the of the of the nation state, and I think it explains an awful lot of 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 what we're seeing at the moment. It's the nation state, the existing power structure, is trying to survive.
0: But if you're already in that jurisdiction and you don't need to travel back, then why would that matter?
2: Well, yeah, but you. I mean, you you will. I mean, you, you you'll want to come back for family reasons, or you know, every once in a while you'll want to come back to the office if if you know you know the, the fundamentally living in a low-tax jurisdiction in the same time zone and working online is far more attractive if you know that whenever you want to um you can spend a couple you can jump on a, a flight hassle-free fly back to the uk spend a couple of days there and then come back again but but when that traveling experience is is horrendous because you've got to go through tests and all the rest of it you know the appeal of working from another low-tax jurisdiction becomes significantly less attractive
0: yeah i I was thinking in terms of if if somebody just wanted to to up sticks and move and that's it and come back just more occasionally because you know let's face it you could have somebody a, a member of your family who lives stones throw away and you won't, wouldn't be allowed to see them anyway
2: yeah i mean yeah exactly so yeah you you, you you got to admit that in the world of 2019 that model would have been far more attractive it, it is significantly less attractive now so so that is one of the effects of what they're doing and i think that the most stubborn aspect of this whole covid thing is going to be restrictions on international travel the amount of friction on international travel is going to is going to go up considerably and it's going to be driven by the high tax economies and it's going to be driven by the high tax economies because they don't want people to up sticks and move because, you know, all of the high income earners have just discovered that they can do their jobs perfectly well from home. If you can do your job perfectly well from home, why don't you make your home Uh, A villa that overlooks the sea, with beautiful weather. Um, You can hire help, and and your rate of tax goes down to seven percent or something. You know why wouldn't you? You have to discourage that somehow. And making international travel absolutely horrendous is a way that you keep your tax surfs within your orbit.
0: Can I ask what your wife thinks of all of this, if you don't mind, given her unique perspective of being? working for the NHS? Well, yeah. um, I mean, you'd have to answer that because that's obviously, that's private and I can take it out of the pod if you don't want to talk about it.
2: No, no, she, no, no, she's, um, she's concerned by what she's seeing. Um, She she works in a team where I think everybody else has been vaccinated. She will not be. Um, And if it comes to, and and the team that she works in, the biggest problem that they have by far is recruitment. They they simply cannot get enough people and she has run off her feet all the time um, responding to patient needs. And if they introduce a vaccine mandate, they will lose her, but they will lose, I I think the figure is something like 10% of the NHS will walk out. Um, That's particularly acute within the nursing aspect uh, because uh, there is a predominance for nurses not to be the primary wage earner and therefore they have the ability to, to exit the NHS. Um, so, I mean, in, in her particular case, she will not be bent by this, but I mean, you, you could see a real breaking of the NHS if, if they go down this vaccine passport route. And look, we've had that conversation about, you know, where do we go? And and, and honestly, at this point, it is almost a nightly conversation. You know, where do we go? There are certain red lines, you know, um, her losing a job would be, well. because I mean, I, I'm already working from home. So, I mean, for me, I, I, I could do this from anywhere. Um, if she is forced out of her job, that's one thing. But, of course, the other thing is we've got two small children. If, if they mandate vaccines for children, then we're going to be on the next flight. And and so, yeah, I mean, all the time we are discussing where do we go. And, and, the, uh, and the solutions come down to, I, I think the favorite at the moment is probably Mexico.
1: But we, we, we're, we're still evaluating. Mm. Yeah. to what extent do you think that what i would suggest is a de facto economic war with china could uh, could heat up
2: i'm i'm not that concerned about china um, i've talked about the long term debt cycle if if you want an example of a of a hyper long term debt cycle look at china mm. you know they, they have experienced extraordinary growth through extraordinary debt you couple that with the um, demographic issue, so you go to um, you go to Southeast Asia, you go to the Philippines, for example, and what you notice is there are twenty-year-olds everywhere. And it's 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 just all twenty-year-olds. Their their demographic pyramid is is an actual pyramid. Mm. But what China have done is is with their one-child policy is they've got a um, A diamond, they've they've got a population diamond.
1: China gets old before it ever gets rich.
2: Exactly. And the combination of their long term debt crisis, which is just as well, it's not just as acute in absolute numbers, but in relative numbers, they've got a serious debt problem. Couple that with a demographic problem. And I'm not as concerned about China as a lot of people make out. You know, is this going to be the next superpower? Probably not because of those two issues. Mm. Um, in the short term, you know, when if I look at a chart of, you know, say emerging markets, what you see is um, sideways movement followed by a collapse to the downside, and that's done about three times now. I, I, try and figure that out. What what what's going on there? It it could be that China is blowing up in slow motion. I'm not sure yet. I need more data. But my instinct is that China is a lot less scary than we probably think it should be.
0: The stock market, along with Hong Kong, is really badly underperformed, um, like collapsed yep. since. Um, well, performed badly this year, and then in sort of late July, had a big move down, big lurch down, and com- yep. it's,
1: it's. Well, as ner- Dirty Harry said, I'm all cut up about that stock market's underperformance.
0: Yeah, it's and. Uh, um, I- And whichever way you look at it, it's a question of, well, why is this happening? And because normally global economies, at the moment, the biggest problem has been that everything's too synchronized. So you've got everything going up at the same time. That That was the problem with the European Union when they were trying to lock all the economies together. You did have counter moves by individual countries um as their economies did better and others did worse and what have you but the, the problem with the euro which is obviously something that we've talked about a lot although not recently was locking all these economies together and, and forcing um trying to force everybody down the same path when it, in fact underneath that's that they're moving in different directions and at different speeds um but but one of the the other issues of of, um, of risk is that you you if you've got everything going up together then you'll have everything going down together and there's no nowhere to ha- to hedge your risk um, but unusually these major these major economies seem to be breaking this uh, correlation so as the, al- although obviously Tim's very happy about it um, I I would still like to know why it's happening um even though I, I just look at it from a technical perspective. Is, it, is that-
1: it not that they've been, I mean, they've been cracking down on everything in, in China over recent months, education, technology, all, all kinds of sectors is getting arbitrary CCP driven diktats about, you know, the management of said sector. And it's, you know, we're finally seeing that you, you, you can try and boost a market through government intervention, but you can also find that government intervention has a downside as well.
2: Well, I mean, how, how many big tech firms have they nationalized recently? I mean, they, they just now I can't remember the name, but they, they just nationalized another one recently. Now, this goes back to the point we were talking about earlier in the podcast. We we're talking about the, the underpricing of innovation. Now, what, what the signal that the Chinese CCP uh, are, are telling their innovators is that if you are successful and if you have something and if you remotely step out of line. It's
1: tall, tall we, poppy syndrome.
2: Yeah, we, we are going to cut you down. So, what they're effectively doing is is, in addition to their debt crisis, in addition to their their demographic diamond, they're also chasing away innovation at precisely the time that innovation becomes the most important factor of production, that digital led you know transition to to the fourth industrial age. So again, you know whatever way you cut this, and I think what you're seeing, Paul, when you look at that market, I mean the obvious answer is is that is that China is weaker than it appears. And we struggle with that because the narrative is is that China is the superpower in the making. But when you look at the data points, it sort of implies the other. And, and I, it, I'm starting to think that maybe
1: that's right. It's funny you mention States. that because I, I remember as a student in the late 80s, when I was finally making the, the, the tentative step towards getting a job, and uh, it looked increasingly like that job might have to be in the financial sector. That uh, there were there were at the time there were all these books about it was going to be Japan that was going to take over the world and yes. that lasted about two or three years and the whole market blew up and was never seen of again. So <laughs> the idea that you've got this this you know this thrusting young Turk economy that's going to destabilize and replace the you know the, the mighty US. It's quite a popular popular meme from time to time, but as you say, it's, it it ain't necessarily so.
2: Well, you say Japan is you know was was never seen again.
1: Well, That's happening to us now. The
2: Japanification of the UK and US economy is happening now.
1: Sure, I mean it. Basically, it, it went into a sort of a economic economic ice age for something like twenty five years, but it, mm. it, it it's it's now coming back. Albeit they're they're making the same kind of disastrous mistakes over COVID that uh, that we've done.
0: Yeah.
1: So. What can you do? It's not a perfect world.
0: Yeah, as as, yeah. Bon, as bond yields are rising. I mean, as as we've. As we're speaking today, um, the seventh of September, in the evening of this podcast, we've seen a ten percent drop in Bitcoin, a twelve percent drop in Ethereum, and bond yields are starting to push up in the U.S. Equity markets are holding okay, but I think if there's, it, it's got a feel. There's like,
1: clearly jitters. Clearly jitters. There's definitely
0: jitters. We're in September, which is you know september october awkward months for the market traditionally um so i wonder whether this is going to get a little bit tasty as they say
2: i i, I would just say step back i mean w- what's happening here is is they are they are going to print it's going to be kachung 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 all the way from here that they have literally no other option so what do you do you you, you just go and buy a bunch of risk it's, it's honestly, I think it's as simple as that. So, I mean, when I'm looking at my portfolio construction, I mean, the, the way that uh, I talked about my three big themes before. So when it comes to s- selecting an asset allocation from that, it, it is as simple as saying, OK, um, which of my big technological trends are experiencing the greatest year on year rate of change? Which markets have the, have the largest TAM, the, the largest total addressable market? Where those two things line up, that's where I want to be investing. And and what that basically leads me to at the moment is is an asset allocation which is about sixty percent tech stocks and about forty percent crypto. Right. And I I, yeah. Well, I mean, we 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 see how it plays out, but in a world where they can do nothing else but print, that feels right to me. the 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 only thing that could really disrupt me at this point is is a is is government policy that became sane and rational.
1: And it's clearly very little likelihood of that happening anytime soon.
2: Exactly. So 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 so, so basically, buy things with the highest alpha while they print. That, that's it.
0: Well, technology stocks are up when everything else is down, and it just feels like it's it's still not ready to turn, but. There are cracks appearing in some of the other markets, so it will be very interesting to see how things turn out there. But um, so you are a fan, of, am I right in saying you're a fan of gold and possibly silver as well as part of your portfolio? Uh, I,
2: so I, I was a fan of gold for a long, long time. So so basically over the last 20 years, whenever I had a bit of spare cash, I went to, um, there was this little outfit
1: near the Savoy Hotel. Where Eight ATS and- bullion off the Strand.
2: Yes, that's the one. I have been in there many a time. And whenever I had a spare bit of cash, I went in there and, and, and bought a Krugerand or something like that. Oh, actually, let me tell you, let me diverge very quickly and tell you about um, a really interesting point about gold. You, if you buy physical gold, you might be inclined to think that Australia or South Africa is the biggest producer of gold. It's not. It's China. China is by far the biggest producer of gold. And none of it ever sees the open market because the government buys every single ounce. And they pay full market rate for it from whoever digs it up and they stick it in a vault somewhere. Now, that's really interesting. I think what they've been doing for a long time is they've been playing the long game. They have been waiting for the US dollar to collapse so that they can then come forward and say, we've got a gold-backed URM. Ruin
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, ruined yeah. Um, possibly... The move to crypto has wrong-footed that in some way, but I suspect they are waiting for. for I, I actually think that Chinese Chinese policy. I mean, I know I, I know I dissed them earlier, but actually, I think Chinese policy is basically waiting for the US to do a series of incredibly stupid things and shoot. Well, ne- ne-
1: never interrupt your enemy when he's making a mistake.
2: Exactly. <laughs> and, and and their gold reserves. I mean, what are those gold reserves for? I, I think they're going to make a, a play for. Um, Oil exchange, or possibly the the world, you know, reserve currency.
1: Mm. You know, that, that's going heard, with it. But, but yeah, that, anyway, coming, coming yeah. back to your
2: question, coming back to your question, yeah. So, I've, for a long time, I, I was I was into gold, and and it has does done its job that I bought it for, which is to retain its value. Um, but I don't think the future of money is going to be gold. Um, I especially don't think that because I mean, the big powers, the US and the UK, are going to have an influence over what the new monetary system is. And it's not going to be gold because basically they don't have enough of it. China has too much.
1: I mean, this is an interesting point in isolation, not in not in terms of the relative assessments. I appreciate that China probably has hugely understated the amount of its reserves. And we basically don't have any because Gordon Brown sold it all because he's a cunt. Yes. But the... The argument that there's insufficient gold to back um, a new currency is is not a is not a valid one because there's enough gold. An ounce of gold would be enough. It doesn't. It, all it means is the price changes to, to flex. Yeah, no. to yeah, flex there, there, there's,
2: there's not an insufficient amount. There is an insufficient amount relative to to China.
1: Yeah, yeah that's what. I, yeah, that's. Yeah, no, yeah, we're we're agreeing this point. Yeah I'm just saying it's, it's it's an argument that some people say there's not enough gold in the world to 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 support a new currency but the, the reality is there is even at an ounce because the, all the, all the modifier is is the price goes through the roof
2: well, well and the gold price is obviously suppressed at the moment mm. i mean it, it is obviously suppressed and and if you don't believe me try and buy physical gold It it is very very difficult this is what we're
1: hearing gold. from from the dealers as well that, the, that there is no physical on offer
2: yeah and and the, and the reason for that is because the um the paper market for gold the the derivatives of the future the paper market is i can't remember the number it,
1: i think it's uh the reserve bank of india suggested it was roughly 100 to one
2: yes that that could well be i mean it, it is it is it is several orders of magnitude bigger. So if you want to push the price of gold around, it is very easy to do so without having
1: to... Use, physical using, ...delivery of anything. Play games in the derivatives market and just push the futures. Yeah, to- exactly.
2: Yeah. Now, the the only thing is, is, is I think there could be a correction in gold coming up because...
1: I think we've already the, had it, to be fair. We've well, the, 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 retail,
2: the retail market is, is trying to get their hands on all the physical gold that they can get. So at some point they are going to have to allow for a step change in the price of gold simply to stop the the, the, the retail market from buying up all the physical, because they, you know they they can separate the paper market from the physical for a time, but not indefinitely.
0: Is there any is there any way to get a a real market value for gold then, other than the futures market?
2: That's an interesting. Way. I don't I don't think so actually. Not in the short term.
0: So, Maybe. so if you say to a bullion dealer, "Look, you you haven't got any supply, but if you did have, what what would you sell it to me at?" And they might say, "What, two thousand dollars, perhaps, as opposed to eighteen hundred, which is where it is."
2: Yeah, I, I, I suspect the path of least resistance for them would be to simply increase their fees. Right. But that is that is an interesting question. I'm going I'm going to mull on that.
1: I've always loved this this quote, which is a very hoary old quote from an old hand in the gold market, which is, The next big leg up in gold is going to be a religious experience for those people who find themselves short. Mm. Which I think it will be at some point, but how long that may take is uh, an open question. yeah, but probably. i th- I think I think I think we're open for a few religious experiences in the uh, in the next few weeks and months personally. It, that that
0: could be when the when and I've said it before, and people have said inflation's already out of control. But what mm. I mean is, when we're seeing this push towards hyperinflation, where it's it's like several digits, you know, a, a month or, or or you know a week. I think that's that's when. That's when things really start to take off.
1: I've, I mean, I, 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 no- I would argue sim- simply that the, what Mises called the the crack-up boom started some time ago. The rush, the rush into real assets out of paper, out of paper and fiat.
0: There's a big move up in uranium recently, and I know there's been some moves in metals like aluminium and and um, I think nickel actually, but I'd have to double check the second one. But definitely, uranium's suddenly popped up and. I just wondered, I remember a guest on our podcast over a year ago I'm sure was talking about buying uranium and it's it's way off its size
1: that, that could have been Chris Macintosh we had him a was. while back and I think it was Chris
0: I think you're right well remembered Tim um now that's starting to look really interesting is that something that that you look at Tim or or or, or indeed Dan
1: From my perspective we don't we don't uh, we we've started to buy broader commodities related stocks um but still with a value bias but we'll always have a sort of a, a race memory uh, affection for, for gold and silver because they've always had monetary characteristics so notwithstanding what 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 dan said about the likelihood or otherwise of gold being a a new monetary related asset the, the reality is for a lot of people around the world gold has always been money good and, and it always will be so we're not, in a sense, dependent on central banks re-monetizing gold. We're quite happy just to rely on, if you like, you know, Asian Asian private investors always venerating it over over any other form of money. Yeah,
2: and and, and so my answer to that would be, you know, yes, I like gold. I'm I'm not going anywhere near the paper market. Uh, I've I've bought a lot of the physical over the years, and and I'm not looking to add to it. And the major reason I'm not looking to add to it, the the main thing I like about gold is the lack of counterparty risk. Mm. Which is therefore why I will not go into I don't know an ETF or something like that.
1: But I if I'm, st- looking- I still have to share, and I apologise for using flogging this dead, dead horse. So I still have to share Charlie Morris's definition of gold, which is a, it's a zero coupon bond with no credit risk, no counterparty risk, issued by God.
2: <laughs> yeah, and and you say zero coupon, but I mean the Australian can't government lend it out. Ago, can't Yeah, lend the it Australian out. government a couple of months ago issued a negative coupon bond. So you know, a zero coupon bond with zero counterparty it's risk. is actually quite
1: attractive in that, in yeah, that world. Yeah, that, that sounds quite good. But but look, no, no, when it comes
2: to asset allocation at the moment, I mean, uh, all, all new asset, all, all new uh, capital flows are going uh, going into crypto, and the reason being is it is it shares some of those monetary properties of of zero counterparty risk, or at least Bitcoin does, and and I think we're going through a price discovery phase. So there will only ever be twenty one million Bitcoin. Put that in perspective. There are 52 million dollar millionaires in the world. So if every dollar millionaire in the world wanted to own a Bitcoin, they cannot own a, a whole Bitcoin by themselves. And actually, at this point, because most of it has already been distributed, um, you know, they will not get even close. Bitcoin for me is is pristine collateral. And because we are going through that price discovery phase, I expect it to to offer me the lack of counterparty risk, the asset security, and the alpha that, that basically drowns out everything else. I mean, that said, I already own some land, I already own some physical gold. If I didn't own either of those, I would probably want to get into them. But at this point, my entire focus is going to be on crypto because I think that offers by far and away, the, the the best asymmetric bet at this point. And what I mean by asymmetric bet is, is look, Paul, let, let's say, you know, you and I have a bet for £10 on whether it's going to rain tomorrow afternoon. Our upside is £10, our downside is £10. If you go into crypto now, your your downside is 100% and your upside is, I don't know, 3,000%. If you and, and and look at it from this perspective, okay. Look at it from this perspective, okay. So so crypto at the moment is is a two trillion dollar market. Equities they're about two hundred trillion. Bonds about two hundred trillion. No, so bonds about one hundred trillion. Um, global real estate about two hundred trillion.
0: I thought bonds was bigger than. than I think bonds
1: is bigger, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, not, it's not. It's not.
2: It's not. I'd, 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 I'd have to double check it. Uh, crypto is is two hundred trillion at this point you can easily see that 100xing at this point so you know what what i what i say to all my sort of friends and family is for god's sakes, just put 1% of your portfolio into it because if i'm right that 1% will be worth as much as the rest of it and worst case scenario you lose 1% so who cares it, it is a massive asymmetric bet so that is by far and away where all my focus is going at the moment
0: what do you say to taleb's comments about um it going it should go to zero because of the cost of maintaining the system
2: yeah i I looked at he 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 doesn't understand it i mean he he wrote that whole piece and he didn't refer to the lightning network once he didn't refer to any of the other protocols that, that i mean basically every problem that he presented has a solution which is operating today um you know this is a guy who formed his world view a couple of years ago And, you know, basically every argument that he said was a good argument in 2014. It is no longer a good argument because the ecosystem has responded to it. So, you know, he's a smart guy. He's made some absolutely brilliant observations in the past. On this respect, he was entirely wrong. He was entirely out of date. And if he just gave, put aside his preconceptions and studied the market where it is today, he would not have come to those conclusions.
0: It's interesting that he said that recently though given that those solutions are already here you, you yeah, could, but,
2: but yeah. in, in his piece he didn't refer to any of them so he clearly he clearly either didn't see them or didn't understand them
0: right because I think he asked for people to, to come back with reasons why he might be wrong um but I guess he's he's obviously not not really listened um, yeah it, I, it, it seemed like an odd argument as well i i I I didn't. I've heard a lot of arguments and thought of some myself, but that one, it it didn't seem to matter because you have to maintain lots of systems. I mean, you have to, in some ways, still even maintain gold. If you've got if you're going to hold it, you've got to have some form of insurance or security or, or whatever. So everything has a has some kind of cost. Okay, that's a monetary cost, but y- he's talking about a system cost which uses energy, but. But so what? I mean, to keep the internet going costs money.
2: So, so let, let's split the response of that into three parts. So, so the first part is if you want a point by point repudiation of of his particular argument, there is a there is a YouTube um, podcast. I think it's called What Bitcoin Did. There was an episode where Lin Alden and the host of that basically respond to the, um, the the Talib article point by point, and they go through it, and, and, that, and that very effectively responds to it. Um, the second point is that the, the ecosystem is growing up, where you have multiple solutions. So, 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 what Bitcoin basically is is it is very, very simple, but it's a store of value and nothing else. It is it is hopeless for payments, um, but it is. Incredibly strong as a as a settlement, as a base settlement layer, a store of value. So I see Bitcoin as ultimately being either digital gold or you know potentially the bullish case scenario that it, it swaps out that sovereign debt layer that, that banks currently hold at the moment. Built onto that, you will find other solutions. So the Lightning Network is one of them, which is building on Bitcoin directly. That's not actually what, what I think is going to happen. What I think is there are other networks. Which are incredibly fast, incredibly dynamic, such as Solana.
0: I was going to say Solana is the one. Yep.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you could you could see within ten years um, the Nasdaq operating on Solana because it has that sort of speed. Yeah. But you would not want Solana to be the final source of settlement. Bitcoin final settlement takes a minimum of ten minutes, but actually you want. You want more nodes to, to respond to it. So it's really sort of half an hour of a final settlement on, on, on Bitcoin. You I mean, but you can easily run but I mean at the moment what we have is is we have the banking system operating in connection with each other and settling up at the end of the day. You know, on, on Bitcoin, that's that's gonna go to half an hour. And and the front end of it could be operated on on something like Solana. And actually look that 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 brings me back to to one other point. So um, I, I was, I was listening today to your, um, your, your previous podcast, the Mark GB one. That was, a, that was an excellent, uh, uh, podcast. And, and one of the things he talked about in there was the, um, the repo market. Yes. And about how, how that is, that is driven by, uh, by a, a concern around the counterparty risk of banks, because in a, in a, in a normally functioning economy, the banks trade with each other all the time, um, and, and, and any excess deposits, they, they, they deposit with each other. And, and the repo market, the reverse repo market, is only supposed to be there for the drips and drabs left by the end of it. And he was pointing out that the, um, the counterparty risk was driving that. But actually, there's, there's, there's another angle of that. What if it's also that there is debt saturation? what if the banks, the, the banks have all the ability to make loans that they could possibly want at the moment At the, the moment, because the the deposit requirement has been dropped to, to effectively zero. If debt saturation has been reached where either nobody will take new loans or they cannot make loans but they're satisfied with the credit risk of the person they're living it to, what that tells you is that is that quantitative easing has reached the end of the road and that any future quantitative easing is going to be ineffective. And that plays back to my earlier point about we are getting to the end of the road of this monetary system. So, yeah, sorry, I've, I've, I've no, asked about five, five, five different
1: points <laughs> off your one point. but my, the, yeah. the, my so the, sound, the sound sorry. of mics being dropped is just <laughs> echoing through the whole conversation now. So I, I,
2: I tend to I, I see so many connections in these things that I, I, I end up going sideways all the time. Sorry. It's
1: all good. It's all
2: good. No, it's, it's great.
0: Good. Great stuff. Yeah. Full, full and frank answer. That's what we want. Um, j- just in, in terms of time frame for that, do you have any finger in the air view on it?
2: Yeah. So, so, my, so my raw view is that the, the end is nigh sooner rather than later. Having said that, the other day, I was speaking to a uh, retired derivatives trader whose, whose opinion I very much respect. I mean, he, he is very much into the into the maths and the, the real detail of this kind of thing, and he reckons we've got eight years left before the collapse. Um, I was also then listening on, on Real Vision to a conversation between the host of, of Global Macro Investors and the head of Fidelity Macro. Um, and, and he, I mean, he was also making a similar point that he thinks the current system, you know, uh, despite its
1: problems, is, is more resilient than
2: than we, you might first assume.
1: Everyone always thinks the system's going to collapse after they've retired out of it.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So look, I, I I don't think that anybody who properly gets into this is making the argument that the current monetary system is going to survive long-term. Nobody is saying, I, I can't find anyone credible who's saying that this is going to be around 20 years from now. The only dispute is, is it going to collapse tomorrow afternoon or 10 years from now? Yeah. And and the honest answer is I don't have a bloody clue. Mm. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly tempted to, to skip ahead to your bit where you, where you asked for, for film recommendations because I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> when we get to that, bit, I, I'm going to give you a film that, that basically shows how this can unravel overnight.
0: Just before we do that, I was going to say it's worth listening to the podcast that we did with Akel Patel because he looks at cycles and he correctly predicted that there would be a mid-cycle correction that came around 2020. The market went down. But if you look, he was expecting a move back up and for this upwave equivalent to last until 2026, and if you look at how resilient the markets have been, especially the property market, residential, which being his main focus, I was shocked at quite how quickly things turned around. Because if anything was going to cause a huge collapse, what we've seen over the last year would have would have done it. In any normal market with interest rates up, blimey it would have imploded, but instead it went sideways and now it's new highs. I mean, go figure. So that kind of leads into the power of cycles and if if he's correct in his expectation, 2026, from 2026 onwards, that's where you're on fumes. That's when the system is, is starting to turn and you, we all know that that could mean still another two years before it goes. But... I, I think that that's uh, quite a nice fri- time frame to work within.
2: So so I, I think he really could be onto something there because, you know, when I, when I talked earlier about one of my big themes being the long term debt cycle, I then break that up into short term debt cycles, which are typically between eight to 12 years time. Um, so, I mean, obviously, 2008, the system probably should have collapsed then. Um, but we, we got a 12 year short term debt cycle out of it and we we're here where we are now so i suspect the answer is that if if a breakdown is going to occur it's probably going to be sooner rather than later or it's going to be on the other time on, on the other side of another short term debt cycle which could be 8 to 12 years so lining up with your other guest there who's saying um 2026 you know maybe plus two years i mean that that would line up perfectly with my thinking that you know maybe you get one one more short-term debt cycle but the underlying issue is is that the ability to pay the interest at this point you you cannot pay the interest on the debt that we currently have without creating more money so you have to create more money at an increasing pace just to tread water and 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 you know Frankly, it's got ridiculous at this point and where it will be in eight years time, you know, try, trying to get another short term debt cycle, even if we get out of this one and we get another eight to 12 years. I mean, uh, I, no I would gas. be amazed. Yeah, yeah. I'd be amazed. So, so I mean, I, I'm still invested. So, I mean, I, I talk about being invested in crypto. I mean, I'm, I'm still 60 percent in the market, but I'm very much aware that I'm riding a tiger. And, yeah. you know, you fall off, you're going to get eaten. So, you know, be bloody careful.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. So, media picks.
1: You you, teased, you teased us with an allusion to a film. We have to we have to follow up with that one now. Yeah. Are you talking about your 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 um media your
2: picks. film? Let's go let's media go to
0: be Yeah, to to be fair, it doesn't have to be a film, but often it is. But a media pick can be anything, could be a book, a a podcast, um anything at
2: all actually. Oh, right. Well, if it's books, you know, I'm um, I can no, we want the film it.
1: first. We want the film first. <laughs> can, can you can you hear the
0: disappointment
1: in Tim's voice? I know voice. it's like my, my jaw just hit the floor <laughs> as a as in the wool cineast. Yeah, what's okay, that, Granddad?
2: So so, so so films. Look, um, obviously, I I have to go to V for Vendetta for yep. my first film pick. I mean,
1: you you you. you... <sighs> I think people who don't know it will be shocked at how prescient it now looks. Fear became the ultimate tool of this government. I don't know where they get these ideas from. I
2: mean, it—it, it, I mean, it is a um, that film is amazing. So first of all, it's set in 2020, and the whole premise of of the film is is that the government faked a pandemic, and used fear to transition into a, a fascist control system.
0: Yeah, Tim Tim's mentioned the film to me before, and I haven't seen it yet. It's kind of on the list, um, but actually, funnily enough, a good friend of mine, Alana, mentioned it today and said it's on amazon prime
1: the universe is uh, trying to tell you something
0: i've i've got to watch it so i will be i'll be watching it as my next film so it's dan thank you yeah,
1: i mean it, it's very almost at the point where it's
2: not a film it's a bloody documentary right I mean, that's the point we got okay so that, that was the fir- that was the first recommendation the, the second one i've got to go to and i alluded to this early it's a film called margin call
0: oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah.
2: Um, and, and what that is, is it's, it's a 2008 financial crisis and it just shows the speed at which this sort of stuff can unravel. So basically, this guy is working late and he spots that the the balance sheet of the bank is about to unwind um, and, and a series of actions take place. And effectively, the whole thing is resolved by the following afternoon. And at that point, the collapse of the of the financial system um well at least in the short term i mean they 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 managed to print their way out of it at the time is 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 irreversible and so this is the point i sort of come back to is when i'm speaking to you know my my very um mathematically numerate mates who say that they agree with me that the financial system is going to collapse but they think it's going to take longer is i come back to the behavioral economics point the the human element which is that when this thing um becomes obvious um the the emotional the human aspect will take over and it will take place very very quickly um so yeah so margin call is is, is, a, is a is a great film to watch um and i'm and am i allowed to do books as well
1: Sure.
0: yeah go for it
2: so i i, I love my books um a classic from 2008 is called paper money collapse by detlev schrichter so this is this is a, a bond trader, very mathematical guy who basically lays out why the um, paper money system has to collapse. A couple of years later I've got Wilhelm uh, Middelkoop, a, a Dutch guy. He's actually a, um, a fund manager, a gold fund manager and he wrote a book called The Big Reset and he wrote this in 2010. so this is long before the great reset became mm. into vogue and again, it's it's slightly less mathematical than the debt left stricter book, but it's it's slightly more human. But it, it, can, it incorporates good elements of both of those, and it describes why the the financial system is, is in his end game at the moment. Um, the other book I have to mention, of course, is the one that I've mentioned several times, which is a sovereign individual. So that was written back in 1997, and that was incredibly prescient. And it describes why the Um, why the politician in the central banker is heading for obsolescence and why they're going to push back and 20 years ago it predicted that they would fake a pandemic in order to shut down international travel and all the other things. Um, From there I'm going to get a little bit darker uh, and talk about the the fourth turning from Howe and Strauss and what that is is basically a more complex version of um, weak men create bad times bad times create strong men strong men create good times and so on the cycle so what they do is they look at a generational cycle going back many centuries and and their prediction is that effectively we are going to be going into a crisis period starting about now that's going to last until about 2030 it's analogous to the 1930s and it is going to be a crisis it's going to be horrendous but the flip side of that is that all of the existing power structures are going to get washed away and we're going to come out the other side with the golden age. And they point to three or four historical examples. And and this, by nature of the fact that it takes four generations to go through the cycle, they point to multiple points where this has happened and they explain the philosophy behind it. And and the and the fourth turning crisis is something which is um, influencing, I've got to say, a lot of people. A lot of people are talking about this fourth turning um crisis so you know how on strauss that that's a good one um and if you want to get dark um the great rupture which also mentioned by victor chevitz uh, that's the one that says that again it's a very similar version of that is that the authoritarianism rise um is going to be um very difficult to shake off over the next 10 years it's going to get ugly and then either there's a, a sort of a semi-revolution we kick it off and it goes um, or it sticks with us and the final one is the price of tomorrow by jeff booth um, which is that technology aspect that i talk about which talks about how technology is so deflationary um, and and that basically undoes the financial system but he starts to go into some of the areas in which um, technology is going to do to whole sections of the economy what the internet did to a narrow section of the economy over the last few years so so sorry that was a bit long because i love my books but but, but there's there's a few
1: recommendations we're gonna need we're gonna need some bigger show notes
0: <laughs> <laughs> well I, I will I will pass on mine because I think that's plenty so um, Tim do you want to tell us yours
1: uh, so I'm gonna give you just just a to, to, to attempt to to, to, to to parry back some of dan's torrent of of film recommendations and, and book recommendations um just allude to an old an old classic that i don't think has ever been shown on television or ever will be ever can be a film called rollover from 1981 which is with um jane fonda and chris christopherson um and essentially this is this is going back to a previous age where the arabs are the enemy rather than the chinese um and the uh, the democrats and um that's a joke by the way but you don't have to laugh because it like 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 all of my rib ticklers it, it's plummeted through the floor and is const- currently on the way to the center of the earth um and then rollover uh, suffice to say it has the most shattering end sequence of, of any financial film i've ever seen I won't Al- even in, 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 although
0: you are now ruining the ending but you i'm like now that. ruining it
1: <laughs> but that's that's my that's my go-to signature move so i'm not going to even mention the shattering ending except to say it is shattering but it, <laughs> it, it uh, i'm not kidding it is so um apocalyptic in in, in its implications I, I, it, the first few times i saw this in Reducment of Tears and you can see why it's probably will never be shown again if it's ever been shown because it's just too it's just too damaging to the idea of um, stability in the financial system. You, anyway, that's rollover.
0: Can you um, not? Can you not get it? Then is it really hard to get hold? of? I don't
1: know. I think I've got it on. I think I've got it on Prime. But the thing is, I have a tendency to find things on Prime. and When I try and watch it. It says that Disney's bought them.
2: Actually, Tim, I'm, I'm just thinking. I, I can't remember if it was on this podcast or another one. But you recommended a film. And you said, watch it. And I went and watched it. And I was blown away. It was, you, you, you'll probably think of this. It was the John Carpenter one with the bloody sunglasses.
1: Yes. Yes, they, they lived. Live. Live. Yes. 1989. Yes, tell
2: people about that one. That, that was bloody amazing, that film.
1: No, I mean, John Carpenter's got form for basically, uh, I, th- I think a number of John Carpenter films will have to be reappraised. In the light of in, in the light of events that took place after the film was made, and They Live is, is perhaps the best example because you look at They Live now and it looks like again like a documentary as to what we're living through. Oh, and that's I mean you you mentioned it on on. Um... I've been obsessed. I've been obsessed by it since since it came out. I, I was so obsessed that I went to the production company uh, offices in London where I was working as a, a temp at the time, and they gave me a free a promotional set of They Live dark glasses, which is now wow. my single biggest proudest possession I'll never sell them but if I wanted someone to send me a cheeky offer I'll, I'll, happily, I'll happily talk to them offline because, uh, because you, you mentioned that Tim film and then, and then I went Price. and
2: watched it you, 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 we went and watched it you know, the wife and I went and watched it that night and we were looking at each other about it must have been 30 times during. Yeah. That film thinking this is our life over the last 12 months
1: and also, It's got one of the great lines, which is which is when he bursts into the uh, bursts into the bank and with a with a double barrel shotgun and says, "I this is Rowdy Roddy Piper, the the, the world wrestling guy says uh, he's basically the hero guy guy called Johnny Nada, and he says, "I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass." And I'm all out of bubble gum, <laughs> and apparently that line was improvised, so it wasn't even in the original script. So it just goes to show that sometimes comedy, you know, or film film gold comes out of out of uh, out of thin air. But no, that's a, that's a corker. the The other one, the one I watched last night, um, is a film called Worth, which was made in 2020, and this is on a somewhat somber topic because this is about basically, the, uh, so it's a real life story. the The, the film stars um, Michael Keaton and Stanley Tucci, who is always watchable, and Amy Ryan, who is always watchable, but sadly has a very small role in this one. It's called Worth, and it's about um, Kenneth, Kenneth Feinberg, who is the guy that effectively volunteered to arrange the settlements for the people who were killed in the 9-11 attacks in America. Uh, and the whole premise of the, of, of the, the, the whole backstory is that the airlines are terrified that if they get hit by class action lawsuits, they'll be litigated into into bankruptcy so they have to try and come up with a settlement that's fair to everybody involved fair to basically janitors as well as like company you know ceos of of wall street firms um it's more it's more akin to a tv movie than a a full-blown hollywood blockbuster because it's it's very talk it's very theatrical but there are some very moving segments as you can appreciate when he's talking to the families of the you know people who, who were killed in the attacks and it just it reminds you that the business that we're in is you know put it this way a, a bad day for us in finance and clients lose a bit of money but a bad day is not somebody dying so it's, it helps to get things in perspective
2: and how little did the airline industry know that within a couple of years government policy was going to put them out of business permanently but this is exactly, anyway? this,
1: is exactly the, this is exactly the point we were making so we're looking at, again we i was looking at my fiance while we're watching and thinking god if only they knew what was gonna yeah. you know 20, 20 years down the line because again, the situation was completely reversed. Then the, the the government was moving heaven and earth to try and ensure their survival. This time around, the government has moved heaven and earth to ensure that they all go bankrupt. Yeah, it's f- funny how funny how life changes, isn't it? Yeah, quite.
0: Brilliant. Well, well, Dan, thank you once again for coming on the show. And
1: how, how do people get... how do people want to get in touch with you, Dan? Or where, where do you write? Or
2: I've I've got a Twitter profile which is um, King Bingo underscore. The I prefer I... you as King Bingo,
1: to be honest. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a stu- I mean, if you had a business card with like King Bingo on, I mean, there's got to be
0: a story behind King Bingo. <laughs> so if that
1: won't get you tonight, nightclubs, I don't know what well, well, will. Well, well the, story, the story
2: is because I was looking at emerging tech. I mean, I, I was one of the first people that that signed up to Twitter, and and I thought, you know, oh, here we go. Here's another one. You know, this this won't exist six months from now. So I just picked some stupid name and you know, <laughs> my, twenty
0: whatever my, it is, twenty fires. years
2: later, the bloody thing's still here, and it's the most popular app on earth. So I should. Yeah, if if i knew how to change it i probably would um i've got a i've got a website which is um the crypto reports um and basically i've set that up as a way of saying if you are a politician or policymaker uh or, or perhaps even a, a, a business basically somebody of influence and you don't understand cryptocurrencies and cbdc's all the rest you know come and have a conversation with me and and you know literally any politician including richard bergen I will sit down for as long as it takes and
1: I will talk you through this stuff because I think it's so important that policymakers understand it. You might need you might need dolls or something, maybe some puppets if you're gonna get Bergen on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, look as as long as the people who are making policy understand the significance of of what's about to happen, because you know what's most likely is that regulatory capture will will take place once again, and politicians will be voting through stuff they have not the faintest concept of what's going on. Um, and, and look, I, I'm i just setting myself up as someone I I will take the time to talk you guys through it if you need it. So, and that's thecryptoreports.com.
0: Yeah, just just be careful of the S because there's the crypto the crypto. Re- port full stop and this is the crypto reports.com
2: I, I, th- I think it's i can't even remember my own name i don't
0: you, no no it is yeah because because yeah, I, cause, yeah I, I i had a look at both basically okay um dan once again it's been a pleasure very informative thank you for your views and obviously we're going to invite you back because it was brilliant so thank you once again and thanks for your, your media picks which are going to keep us busy for some time i think well
1: thank, thank you for having me All the best. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Tim. Bye now. Bye-bye.
0: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.